G'day folks, welcome to Pause and Listen, a podcast series brought to you by Big Dog Pet Foods, the leading pet nutrition provider in Australia with over 20 years of experience in the pet industry. We provide educational resources for pet parents and are proud of being transparent in everything we do. The podcast series is hosted by me, Johnny Manning, and we bring you interviews and deep dives into pet nutrition, pet care, training, and regular Ask a Vet segments. So thanks for tuning in. Now get your tails wagging and we'll get yapping. Good day, pet owners, fur parents and lovers of all creatures, great and small. Welcome to Pause and Listen. Now, I usually do a, a really long pause in between that, Narelle, but I didn't do it then because, you know, pause and pause, P-A-U-S-E, et cetera, et cetera. This is a I big dog, Pet Foods. Yeah. You like it? It's good, isn't it? Right? Pause and listen. So I love that double on the double entendre. When I first heard the name, I was like, oh, I wish I had a thought of that. That would have been a <laughs> name for my it podcast. Took, yeah. It, it, it took the genius of the big dog pet foods marketing team to come up mm-hmm. with it. So don't beat yourself up. Okay. But uh, look, big dog pet foods podcast. And you know what, Narelle? This is a place where you can come to find out all manner of pet information. My name is Johnny Manning, and I'm talking to the one, the only, the fantastic Narelle Cook today. Welcome, Narelle. Hello, everyone. This is, it's always great to speak to the Big Dog team. I really do feel like family, so um, thank you for having me back. Well, you certainly do feel like family. It just feels like we're having a, a uh, you know, holiday conversation with a long-lost cousin or brother or sister or, you know, family member. So thanks a lot for joining us. But I'm so keen to pick your brain, Narelle, and I'm so keen for you to impart some of your amazing knowledge because I'm reading through your list of qualifications and I think by the time I got to the end of it we'd have to close this podcast off so you're a nutritionist a a herbalist a behavioralist where did it all start for you Narelle? Oh gosh um where do I start with that question well first I love to study you know people like to have a life I like to um I like to study so I could continue to do it I I would do degree after degree I just find it fascinating like learning is never ending um, and the more you know, the more you realise how much you don't know. So it's sort of yeah. rabbit hole of like the quest for knowledge. Um, but, you know, to take it right back, I've always loved animals, always wanted to be, you know, a vet, didn't have the stomach for it and sort of just went in lots of different directions um, from that point and ended up coming back to natural health as my calling originally for people and then after many years in clinical practice treating people. I started to get more questions about their dogs. Uh, I have six dogs and things are always going on. So it just sort of naturally gravitated towards um, natural health for for pets. See, I find that fascinating that you were this particular specialist for humans. And then if you go, no, bugger them, I'm going to go work with dogs. That's like everyone's dream. It's like everyone wakes up each morning going, you know what, I've got a Zoom call with the, the finance and then I've got to catch up with um, the marketing team. I really wish I'd just be working with dogs. You've gone and done it. It's amazing. Yeah, and look, it's not that it's easier dealing with health issues um, in, in dogs versus humans, but, you know, once you see, let's say, like a, a 50-year-old person, they've got like 50 years of bad habits behind them that can be quite challenging um, to sort of get people <laughs> to want to change. Whereas when it comes to their pets, oh my gosh, you know, owners will just do anything for the health and the betterment of their their pets. Whereas when it comes to their own health, they're like, oh, I don't want to eat that or I don't want to change that. Um, 
So I really do enjoy the commitment that owners have to improving the health of their pets through diet particularly. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons I started working for Big Dog is because I think to myself, I've got the choice to go and eat burgers and fries or pizza. My dog doesn't have the choice. So it's almost like a baby, right? If a baby doesn't have the choice, you've got to give that baby the absolute best possible thing that you can until they can make that choice. But with animals, they never get the choice. I mean, granted, Frank has ordered pizzas on his own from time to time and I left my phone around, but it's rare that he does Okay. So Frank. (laughs) So you said Frank was a a bulldog cross? He's an Australian bulldog cross with a pug, but it's important to note that within that breed, he's actually very articulate and well-read. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, Narelle, so tell me this. Obviously, you're passionate about animals. You said you wanted to be a vet, but you didn't have the stomach for it. That's okay. I don't think I would have the stomach for it either. I was talking to a vet a couple of weeks ago, and apparently they have a really high rate of mental health issues just because of what they're, they're dealing with, you know, which is uh, you know, really frightening, to be honest. It's up there with dentists. But doing what you do now, what makes you bounce out of bed in the mornings? Oh, lots of things. Um, six dogs that need to toilet being the primary. <laughs> But, um, you know, just making a difference to the quality of life of an animal. Um, You know, I used to feel this way about my human clients. It's now animals. But I have pet owners ring me in tears just when I send them a lengthy email that really goes into detail and ask them a lot of questions because suddenly they feel like someone cares enough to ask the questions um, and cares enough to take the time to really explain, you know, what the process might be to um, improving their health, everything they need to do. I get, yeah, it's it's quite touching the the feedback I get doing what I do. Do you work in conjunction with pets as a as a uh, sorry with vets as a you know a supplement to the care vets provide? Is it like an an, an add on or is it a instead of? Look, it's starting that um, collaboration is starting to occur more and more with the vets who are becoming familiar with what I do and mainly because I've got my supplement range for dogs, canines, cuticles. So the vets who um, are stocking that range are now collaborating more and asking um, just for my input into certain cases uh, to complement because, you know, medicine and and natural medicine, um, they are complementary. And I think to give patients, you know, even our doggy patients, the best um, possible health outcome, I think there's a place for both. Absolutely. How how did you decide that um, canineceuticals, the, you know, the path of supplements for dogs was the, you know, the next step for you? When did you come to that realisation and what was the catalyst for it? So I've been a naturopath for many years um, and in treating my human clients, you know, you want to get results. So you want the best products possible that have the proven efficacy to do what they say they're going to do. Um, So I really valued that as a clinician and as a practitioner. And I've worked for human supplement companies in a, like a research role, making sure that, you know, the claims are factual. Um, So when I started to transition into animals, suddenly I was faced with this world of supplements that were so poorly regulated. And, you know, one of my own dogs had a serious health problem and I started to look at what I could do to treat her. And really, there's not much in the animal supplement world that I was confident to give my dog. So I was using a lot of human practitioner-only supplements with her for her spinal injury. And I just thought, you know, this is crazy. Like it's, 
it just seemed like a no-brainer for me based on my background in regulatory affairs, in research, not to sort of take hold of that and, and create my own supplement range, which is all human grade, premium quality. Um, I can't technically tell people they can take it, but they can. Yeah. Well, that, well, that was going to be my next question. So, so human supplements are one thing, given that we, our digestive system is slightly different, you know, depends how you look at it. It is different to a dog's digestive system. And obviously our dietary requirements are different to dogs as well. How did you go about um, formulating those particular supplements? Look, it's interesting because there are differences, but overwhelmingly, you know, we're pretty similar with our dogs um, from a physiological perspective. And, you know, yes, you do need to take into account some of those, um, particularly the gastric differences, but a lot of research, a lot of time um, reading lots of papers. And, you know, my own dogs over the last couple of years have been my guinea pigs for formulating and I, look, the results speak for themselves. I get so much positive feedback from my customers about the range. And yeah, I guess, you know, one of the other main differences too is um, just getting the doses right and just not putting any rubbish in the products. You know, a lot of human supplements are full of artificial flavors and colors because, you know, to get a human to comply with taste is a real issue. Right. So just removing all of that to make it as pure and as clean as possible. And what sort of supplements did you decide on starting with, you know, what sort of, I guess, um, issues with the canines were you looking at thinking, I need to need to provide a supplement for that? Absolutely gut health. And, you know, it's such a naturopathic cliche, you know, the, the Hippocrates quote, um, you know, all disease begins in the gut. But it's yeah. true. Like it really does hold true for us and our, and our dogs. So for me, it was always um, primarily about gut health because even – if a dog presents with skin issues or immune issues or, you know, a whole raft of other possible health problems, coming back to healing the gut can absolutely make a difference. And a classic example, just recently I had a customer call me, he left a voice message and he's, he'd been back and forth to the vet, you know, for six months because his dog had um, sores on its tips of its ears and the sores just weren't uh, resolving and, you know, he tried antibiotics, he tried topical creams and it just, it would not go away. These sores just would not go away. He um, was recommended my gut protect product. He said, okay. um, he was recommended that because his dog had bad breath. And so his mate's like, hey, your dog's got bad breath. You know, you should try this product. So he's like, okay, I'll do it. Within a week, he suddenly realized the sores on the ears had gone away after six months of, you know, vet treatments not hitting the spot. And it just shows you because that product is targeting gut health, which um, automatically is going to influence uh, immune health and, you know, the downstream effects of that. Well, by the look on your face describing that, I think we've found what gets you to bounce out of bed in the morning. It's certainly getting those those results that you're talking about. Well, the, the gut in people, it's called your second brain, right? So, you know, the, the term a gut feeling is a term for you know, good reason. So in humans, our gut health is very closely linked to how we feel and our behavior. What gave you just the wild and crazy and silly idea that it would be the same in dogs? Uh, Look, just experience over time with my own pets initially (laughs) and now with a lot of other people's pets. But it's it's cliche, but we we really are what we eat. Um, And when I explain this in my seminars, you know, I like to say, you know, what fundamentally drives um, behavior and impacts our mood are biochemical processes in the body 
and what drives those biochemical processes are the nutrients that's coming in from the food that we eat and the food that we feed our dogs. Like that is just as fundamental as it gets. So, and there was a great quote by a UK, I think it's from the UK, uh, animal psychologist. And back in 1987, his name was Dr. Roger Mugford. And back in 1987, he quoted that when we... um, Oh gosh, now I've got to remember the quote. It's all right. You can, you can paraphrase. It's okay. Yeah. When we are considering how a dog is behaving, we really should be considering what is inside the stomach. Now for 1987 in the animal space, like to me, that was so forward thinking and so beyond its time because it's only in like the last decade or two that the whole realm of what they've termed nutritional psychiatry in the human space or like the, the food mood connection is sort of the catchphrase that they use like that's only really come about in the last decade or two so um i don't know where i was going with that but it's really is you know from a biochemical perspective it's the same with our dogs and the only way that that's going to work is if the nutrients if they're getting the nutrients in through the diet now tell me this is it i mean obviously every dog requires good gut health but does every dog with poor gut health behave poorly because i mean in humans you know I've got, you know, you, you've got friends who you look at their diet and you're like, oh my God, how do you eat that? Yet they seem to function well and be reasonably, you know, um, good members of society. So what's it like with dogs? Is it, is it, is it like that with dogs or is it a little bit more, um, I guess, concentrated in the, in the animal kingdom? Look, I think it's, it can be subtle um, when it comes to digestive issues. So, you know, even if someone appears to like have a really poor diet and seems to be okay, um, you know, we don't really know how they would feel otherwise. So I get a lot, like over the years, I've had a lot of human clients that think they felt great. um, But when we made changes to their diet, suddenly like, oh, I didn't realize just how like blah or just, you know, I felt or how tired I felt and until they made this shift in their diet and then they had something to compare it to because we get into this rut with our diets and how we feel. And we just accept how we feel every day as normal. Like this is who I am. This is how I feel. And we, we don't realize that in most cases you can feel a lot better if you just made some changes to your diet. Yeah. What what sort of, you said your, your dogs have been your guinea pigs over the years. Did you have to make broad shifts in what you were feeding them or did you start them off at a reasonably good level and then just have to tweak things because I mean it seems like uh, you know you, you've got the the background to kick them off at a good spot look I have to say and I say this to people um you know don't beat yourself up for not knowing what you didn't know um yeah, until right. you knew it so you know for many years I've had dogs my whole life and for the majority of that time they've been kibble fed and really yeah. not great brands of kibble fed yeah so um and it wasn't even as a human naturopath my dogs were still on kibble I just never for some reason that I'll never understand. I never made that same connection between diet and dog health and behavior as I was doing with human health and behavior. Honestly, can't remember the catalyst to make the change, but somewhere in the last, you know, several years, we, you know, I started to learn more and I'm like, ah, you know, the light bulb went off and I'm like, maybe I should be doing this with my dogs as well. And the first dog that we transitioned to raw, that was one of our French bulldogs, Opie. And oh my goodness, yeah. that he was, we call him our little potato. He would just sort of sit, you know, in a corner and just look at a wall or, you know, just randomly look at nothing. Um, and he was just flat and he was a bit neurotic. And within a week of being on a raw food diet, and it was actually the big dog 
raw food has been our choice from the very beginning. This, this wasn't a setup. That wasn't a setup. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> Even I still needed to learn about dog health and I thought, oh, what's the easiest way to start raw with my dogs? I'm um, like, oh, here, it's all done for me, big dog patties. So, but the change in his behavior, it was like a week or two at the most. He was, he came out of his shell. He was more energetic. He was like this little energizer bunny around the house. And so that was like really amazing to see. My husband and I just regret not filming sort of the before and after. And then sort of the other main catalyst was another one of my French bulldogs had her spinal injury. And that's one that sort of triggered the, the supplement range. Yeah. You know, she did so well in her recovery. You know, we were told it was a hopeless case, but I absolutely believe 100% that it was her diet that was one of the, the leading contributing factors to getting her, th her through that trauma um, and to help her body heal as well as it did. If you break it down to a very, very simple analogy, it, it's like the difference between putting milk in the engine of your car and premium petrol in the engine of your car, right? One of them's, you're going to perform better on one of them and it ain't milk. You know what I mean? That That's pretty, pr pretty basic. It's about what you put in, right? I mean, we, we could spend this whole hour talking about cliches because you're going to get out what you put in. So, you know, you could use that analogy. But that feeling of watching your dog's um, demeanour and behaviour change, does that, that then obviously spurs you on again, right, further to do more research and become more educated about the right things to put into your animal's body, right? Yeah, abs absolutely. And, you know, part of what I really um, try and do through my work and through my seminars is educate pet owners about what exactly is in the food that they're feeding their dog so they can then understand and make an educated decision about what they might do differently that might improve on uh, not only the health but the behaviour of their dogs. And I'm fortunate where I live, I'm on a boarding kennel facility site and there's a they've got a training dog training organization here as well and over the years the trainers have started to collaborate with me for their their behavior dogs like you know they're dogs with quite problematic behaviors such as aggression and anxiety um in terms of you know what can we do to the diet to you know supplement what we're doing training wise and since we've been working together you know even they comment like it's almost that they put a line in the sand with um, owners to say, if you want us to fix this behavioural problem in your dog, part of the, the program is that you will switch to a raw food diet. Really? And they're getting the results, yep. And I do know but quite a they, few trainers who are taking that stance now with, with pet owners. Well, it's like, you know, like when you go to the gym, if a personal trainer says to you, you're seeing me twice a week, what, what are you doing at home? There's, I'm just spinning my wheels here. If you're not holding up your end of the bargain, it makes complete sense. So... With regards to the dogs with anxiety, what specifically does the raw the raw diet do to, I guess, address that issue? Okay, so I'll talk about that angle first, like what the mm -hmm. raw food does. But I think also what's going to be important to talk about is not just what the raw food does to improve behaviour, but what kibble does to lead to poor behaviour. All right, let's tackle the first, first things first and then we'll tackle that one second. I mean, what I love about raw food when it comes to treating behavioural problems such as anxiety in dogs is that the nutrients um, are highly bioavailable. So if we look at protein, for example, most people may not realise that kibble 
Okay, I'm probably going to bring those two points in together now. So kibble Let's is, um, you know, people would be, might be surprised to learn that kibble is predominantly like a vegetarian, bordering on a vegan food in a lot of cases. Um, and, you know, a lot of the protein that's in your standard, say, supermarket kibble is coming from corn and soy and lentils um, and gluten meal. And all of those plant sources of protein, they're not as bioavailable because they don't contain all of the essential amino acids that our dogs need to survive, let alone thrive. So what you're saying is that whilst they're ingesting a certain percentage of protein in that particular um, food, the ability for the dog to break down that protein and absorb it and turn that into the goodness it requires is not there. Yeah, that's that's correct. And, you know, our protein, which is broken down to amino acids in the body, I mean, that's the basis for neurotransmitter synthesis in the body. So if that's compromised, you know, we're not going to be, our dogs are not going to be making as enough um, serotonin, for example, our, our feel-good neurotransmitter. And a study actually was done, I don't remember what year, um, which assessed a number of puppy-specific commercial kibbles and they right. were looking at the nutrient profile and they, they assessed the protein and what they found was that of the protein listed in the guaranteed analysis, only about 75% of that was available to the puppies to absorb and assimilate, which meant, and this is the scary part, that the amount of protein that those puppies were ingesting was below the the minimum guidelines for healthy growth and development in puppies. Well, if it's what, like 70 or 80% protein, then you're talking at 75% of that is not accessible. You're probably looking at 2 to 3% protein, right? Am I doing the maths uh, correctly there? You're probably doing the maths correctly, but the protein for puppies is a little bit higher, like the minimum level. Higher, so, so I think it was bringing okay. it down to, um, you know, around 20, 18, 20%, which is okay. much lower than a puppy needs to thrive and survive. Yeah. So, I mean, when we think about protein with growth and development, it's such a crit critical phase of, you know, for puppies to go through. And while we might consider, okay, well, you know, if there's not enough protein, there's the obvious side effects, um, reduced muscle mass, you know, poor joints and ligaments and growth in that regard. But some of the things we don't see, which relates back to behavior, insufficient protein can lead to like shortening of the gastrointestinal villi. So they're like the little finger-like projections yeah. that line the, the small intestine. And they're absolutely essential for us and our dogs to absorb the nutrients from the food we eat. So as soon as they're compromised, our dogs aren't going to be getting the nutrients they need to support hormone production, which impacts mood and behavior, neurotransmitter production, which impacts mood and behavior, you know, all other immune health, which can impact um, mood and behavior. They also found that insufficient protein reduces um, brain weight. It reduces like the myelin sheath. So that like nervous system conduction is compromised and all of these things together, it affects you know, the endocrine system, it's going to compromise how your dog feels and how they behave. That's super interesting. And the, the point you raised there is it affecting the endocrine system. Now, we, a lot of people, you know, Joe Bloggs off the street knows about our skeletal system, our nervous system, our um, circ circulatory system, our respiratory system. Tell us what the endocrine system does. Let's talk about a dog. What does the endocrine system do in a dog? Well, it's basically, it's, our hormones, our hormone producing organs is the easiest way to think of it. And the thyroid is a yeah. classic example of that. So anything, and diet plays a huge role on thyroid health. And as soon as thyroid's out, most dogs um, are prone to underactive thyroid. Most cats are prone to an overactive thyroid. But anything that compromises, you know, the adrenal glands, the thyroid um, absolutely will impact 
on how your dog behaves. What about something like um, Cushing's disease? So where, where the, I think that the, the, from what I understand, it's too much cortisol is being uh, produced. So a dog's going to have a really overactive appetite, a really overactive thirst. It's going to be quite, um, I guess, um, from t- temperament-wise, going to be very, very barky. They develop the pot belly as well. Um, is, that, is that something that the endocrine system is playing a part in? Because I know the endocrine system plays a part in a lot of carcinoma and cancers as well. Look, absolutely. Everything it does, What everything you've said is accurate um, and everything is interrelated and interconnected, which I find fascinating these days. You know, with mainstream medicine, everything's separated. Like you've got, you know, your heart specialist, you've got your gut specialist, you've got your skin specialist. And um, I always try and encourage people, you know, step back um, and look at the entire picture of the entire body, which is that what as naturopaths, what we're trained to do. Um, it's not that those specialists don't have a role, absolutely, but every part of the body is interconnected with every other part of the body. So if you've got a dog who um, its diet is lacking in certain key nutrients and that's impacting the endocrine system um, and things, you know, aren't going the way they should, then yes, that can cause a lot of downstream health issues and diseases your your perfect world is you know raw feeding and, and obviously ensuring that all the um basic um vitamins and minerals are included at a you know formulated level within that food but then the supplements as well or do you are the supplements do you recommend when needed or do you say hey i want to kick these off as a preventative measure look diet's always going to be foundational so you know yeah. there's to me there's no point throwing supplements at um, a person or a dog if their diet is not right. I mean, a lot of humans are like, just give me a pill. Uh, like, let me eat my rubbish and just give me a, <laughs> give me a pill. Me, I'm, I'm, one, I'm one of those people. <laughs> so, yeah, I will always stress to a pet owner, you know, let's get the diet right. But it's, it's a process and for a lot of owners and a lot of dogs, it can be a drawn-out process for, you know, lots of different reasons. And I'm more than happy to work with that. So that's where, you know, a time where supplements might come in first, like the gut digestive enzymes and probiotics and things to support gut health while a dog is transitioning from a kibble diet to a raw food diet to really help them adapt and adjust to that new food source. I think that's um, highly beneficial. Or if a dog's, you know, going to stay on kibble for a little bit longer for whatever reason, I might recommend some supplements to like really boost the nutritional profile of that food, but I will try and do that with whole foods before supplements. So if, if I've got a kibble owner, I will say, look, can you just add half a big dog patty, you know, to the food? One, to boost, to give it a higher quality protein source to cover all of those things that we spoke about earlier, but something like big dogs also maintaining that nutritionally complete and balanced profile of the meal. So I don't have to worry about the owner just adding some, you know, too much of one thing, like like a mince um, from the supermarket. Yeah and throwing out the balance, like the nutritional balance of that meal. Yeah, fair enough. So if I've got a puppy and I'm kicking it off on raw food, do I start adding supplements as a preventative cause or do I just, you know, say, you know what, the raw food that we've got right now is good enough, it's healthy and wait until something's required. I mean, are these supplements good to have as just part of their daily diet or are they purely um, for treatment? 
um, maybe it's an occupational hazard for me as a naturopath and having a whole clinic of supplements on hand. But, um, you know, whenever we get our puppies from day one, I will be giving them gut support. Um, I will yeah. give me, be giving them a, like a high quality omega-3 supplement. Um, so I do keep it quite simple for puppies. And yeah. I think um, most puppies don't really need anything beyond a, a good quality raw food diet that's nutritionally complete and balanced. Um, but like I said, because I've got so many dogs and they're all getting bits and pieces added to their meal supplement wise, it's easy just to sort of say, oh yeah, we'll give you some gut powder as well. But yeah. I do think in the world we live in, you know, stress is an issue when we're talking about anxiety and behavior in dogs. I think a lot of it comes from the environment. It comes from the owners. Like life is hectic for most people um, these days. You know, there's definitely an increase in separation anxiety and anxiety-related behaviours coming out of COVID for all of those COVID puppies um, that yeah. didn't really get socialised during the critical period of development and things like that. So I think in those instances, there is a role for adding in, you know, one or two supplements to particularly support gut health because yeah. stress and anxiety absolutely is detrimental to the integrity of the gastrointestinal system. And then you know, there's a lot of downstream effects from that. And an omega-3, like I have to, I think omega-3, high quality omega-3 fats are huge. And there's a lot of research to show an insufficiency of omega-3 fats in the diet for people and dogs specifically is related to an increased anxiety um, and behavioral problems. And yep. the challenge is that most, well, commercial kibbles, the standard commercial kibbles are disproportionately high in omega-6 fatty acids, right. which have a pro-inflammatory effect in the body and, you know, don't contain enough high quality omega-3 fatty acids, which are, you know, wonderful anti-inflammatory uh, compounds. So I think boosting that in our dog's diet from the very beginning, I think is um, a good thing too. No matter how many times I have a conversation like this with someone like you, I still can't believe it. I, I can't believe that we, as a society, expect our dogs to eat, you know, these dried little biscuits that we've got no idea what's in there and we think that's normal. I, I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm getting on my soapbox a little bit here, but I just can't wrap my head around how that's a thing. You know, give, given that we know what a dog eats, we know that they're, you know, opportunistic carnivores, we know that you know, they require certain things. And we'd never ask a human to eat that, never in a million years, you know, unless you're in the gulag where they're giving you, you know, porridge or something for your entire life. But out in society, we would never expect a human to eat that day in, day out. Yet here we are, you know, f f you know, shaking our fists and fist bumping for these dried cooked biscuits with maybe a bit of meat flavour in there. I know it doesn't make sense. And the, like the research is quite clear and widely accepted now that, you know, behavior in children is absolutely impacted um, by artificial colors and flavors and preservatives like, you know, ADHD and anxiety and all of it's those. It's the orange one. It's the orange I heard, right? Like um, I don't want to say the brand, but, you know, the orange coloring in either fizzy soft drinks or <laughs> in, um, you know, chips and lollies. That's what I've heard is that you, you, give your, you give your kid the orange one, you watch them turn into an absolute banshee. Yeah, and we know that. Like it's really clear that that's the connection between diet and behaviour in children. Uh, and there was, there was a study and this, all right, this is a nerdy thing that made me laugh. There was a study in the UK in humans um, and it was called Let Us Be Happy, but not Let Us 
like lettuce as in the vegetable. It's like, it's like, pa- it's like pause and listen. It's like pause. Yeah, we get it. Don't worry. We get it. <laughs> I mean, what they found is because, you know, most, uh, I think the estimate is between 40 and 60% of Australian and American adults eat a highly processed diet. And they found that just by increasing um, fresh foods, you know, fruits and veggies um, and pulling back on the highly processed foods led to significant improvements in mood and behavior. So less anxiety, less depression, things like that. Um, And that was only after a couple of weeks. So let us be happy. Let us be happy. I tell you what, though, from time to time, can I still eat fried chicken, please? It's all about balance. (laughs) (laughs) Narelle, if I come to you as a client, right, how does that work? I mean, I know you've got your, your wonderful range of supplements, but there's so many strings to your bow. And I believe you're your hubby's a dog trainer as well. Do you incorporate the whole thing? Can I come to you with, with an animal and a situation and get, you know, complete sort of end-to-end, you know, treatment and care, so to speak? And how, how does that, what does that look like? You could in the past get that <laughs> that complete level of care. Unfortunately, because I am so busy and I've got so many clients on my books, I've still got my human clients, um, existing right. clients, and I've got quite a few, you know, existing health clients. So, I I don't have a lot of hours spare, um, right. so I have put uh, my books are closed at the moment. I really hate to say that, but I guess my question is my, my my question was more around the process, not whether whether I can come to you now, but how does that operate? And here's a from what you just said, another question: How many dog dog owner couple patients do you have? Do you have any where you're treating the dog and the dog parent? I absolutely do. I couldn't quantify it, but there's, um, there's quite a few. And it's hysterical because it'll usually start off, you know, I'll be treating the human for that, let's say, gut issue, and they'll say, oh, you know, my dog's prone to gut issues. Um, you yeah. know, what can we do? Or I've got a known with skin issues. Oh, yeah, my dog's got allergies and skin issues, you know. Can you help my dog too? Um, and I go, yeah, sure, I can. Um, but whenever I, when I do a consult, um, you know, I do – a big part of that is getting a full health history. So I do ask my both my human and doggy clients to fill out quite a number of pages to give me the full background on everything that they've done diet-wise, medication-wise, any health issues, um, poo, got to know about the poo. Yes. Yes, I'm all about the poo. Don't worry. It's it's been uh, it's I've I've been outed on Instagram as as yeah, being really obsessed are. without it. So don't <laughs> don't worry. The, the the big dog crew outed me. About the poo, but anyway, I digress. As a naturopath, we can we can talk poo all day. Um, happy to, happy to. <laughs> you, you, so I I will get us back on track here, or else I'll get sacked. But um, the uh, so you get the whole you know health history of both the human and, and and the animal, and then I'm sure by just reading that you can, you know, I guess um, extrapolate so much information. And you, you, you'd get a really good spot to start just by reading that. Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, health history is like fundamental. Like we need to know, I need to know, you know, what's what's been going on in the past to be best placed, you know, with someone to treat them in the present, uh, to know what's worked, what hasn't worked. Again, diet, medications, you know, to see the medication history of a lot of dogs um, it's just frightening sometimes to see the, the number of or the number of courses of antibiotics, for example. So if I see that, even if they're not currently on antibiotics and they're presenting with a particular health issue, I'll be like, oh, that's, you know, 
no what, doubt what, contributed. So, so antibiotics, dogs do need them at some times or never, or, or is it you think sometimes they're over-prescribed antibiotics? Oh, absolutely, they're life-saving. So, you know, if your dog needs antibiotics um, and there's like it's, it really does need antibiotics, yeah. then yeah. give your dog antibiotics. But unfortunately, a lot of vets, you know, will prescribe antibiotics for conditions that probably don't need antibiotics. And mm-hmm. my vet and I, she's not a holistic vet, but she's very open-minded and she's always willing to hear anything I have to say. And, you know, there's been times I've taken my dog to the vet let's say, you know, some diarrhea that's been going on for a bit longer than I'm comfortable with. And she'll say, I can give you antibiotics, but what do you want to do? And I'll say, well, look, I'd rather not. And, you know, we don't go down that path and things resolve. And we, we try other things, you know, I'll say to her, look, let me try some slippery elm or some gut powder or some marshmallow root. And she sends me on yeah. my way. And, um, but case by case basis in those situations, but overprescribing of antibiotics is an absolute serious issue in the human health world. And now, um, developing in the the animal space as well it took me a long long time to realize that um that was the case purely because of the words antibiotic and probiotic i'd much prefer the probiotic than the anti like it, it I, I it took me so long to actually connect those two because i'm a moron but um now that now that i've but now that i actually connected the two i was like hmm I should probably be taking more probiotics than antibiotics. So anyway. There um, is good research to show the benefits of probiotics, um, particular probiotic strains for treating anxiety in dogs. So it's one of those treatments that, look, it won't hurt. If you've got a dog with behavioural problems or anxiety, um, absolutely give them a probiotic and see if that helps. It's not the, you know, you never do just one thing in isolation. It's sort of part of a, a bigger treatment strategy, but definitely I'd be adding probiotics in. Ever had a dog that's on antibiotics and probiotics at the same time? Yes, but there's a few little caveats to that. So you can take antibiotics and like just general probiotics at the same time, but you need to separate them by at least four hours is the general recommendation because, you know, the antibiotics are going to be wiping out not just the good, um, not just the bad bacteria, but the good bacteria as well. Doing them concurrently can help to minimise the side effects of the antibiotics. I mean, some of those probiotics are going to get killed off, but if you separate them by enough time, you know, enough might survive sort of to get through. But what I recommend, instead of like a broad spectrum probiotic in those situations, I will always absolutely recommend Saccharomyces boulardii as a, a single probiotic species to use concurrently with antibiotics because it's not a bacteria, so it won't be killed by the antibiotics. Um, it's a friendly right. yeast. It's a, it's a beneficial yeast. So, Can you say the name again? It sounded like someone from Greek mythology. <laughs> what, what's the name again? Saccharomyces boulardii. So we say SB. Saccharomyces boulardii. But, yeah, the lingo is SB, so you can just say SB. Yeah, excellent. Even better. There's really, really good research in dogs um, to show the benefits of SB for preventing and treating antibiotic-associated diarrhoea um, and a few other gastrointestinal disorders as well. And then once the antibiotics yeah. are finished, then you can go into a broad-spectrum multi-strain probiotic. Amazing information. And literally I'm sitting here going, oh, my God, what's your favourite probiotic strain? SB is my favourite probiotic. SB? Fantastic. <laughs> I like that. Hey, so when you're, when you're treating, um, you know, a dog and their human, does it ever come to a point where like, you know, the dog's progressing really well and the human's lagging behind, there's, gets a little bit competitive and you're like, the dog's like, 
what's going on with him? You know, are you doing your job? Does it ever get to a point where, you know, you got to work harder with one than the other? Absolutely. It's why I'm slowly shifting to dogs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's because I, what, how I mentioned earlier that most people are really committed to their dog's health and they will do anything I say to um, fix their dog, whether it's diet or supplements, lifestyle. But when it comes to their own health, they're not as committed. So I tend to see um, quicker results with the pets or the dogs than I do with their owner. So people are challenging. Yeah, people, we have our habits and we tend for the most part not to want to change. When you when you first get them for the consult, do you like um, tell the human to leave the room and say to the dog, okay, you're in a safe space now, you can tell me everything. What's been going on? <laughs> I'm No, I don't do that. I get to love a lot of dogs. But, you know, I don't, I don't diagnose. I'm not a vet. You know, I can't diagnose. Yeah. So I do rely on blood tests and vet reports um, and owner information, which is why history is really important. Um, but, yeah, no, I just get to to enjoy the dogs, um, but the owners stay with me. What's your What's your favourite success story with a dog? Oh, gosh, I get so many emails from amazing, like, out, like health outcomes from um, dog owners. Look, I'll have to probably say my own dog. I've got too many oh, really? clients with amazing um, health stories. Well, I mean, I had one, oh, he's a customer, uh, a client feedback. His dog had um, a huge chunk of its bowel removed. Oh, wow. And it was um, a working dog on a farm. And after the surgery, it just had like diarrhea, like every day, just chronic diarrhea. And he tried everything, you know, with the vets and he was at his wits end because, you know, diarrhea is never a fun thing to deal with for more than a few days, if at all. And um, so, you know, we did some changes to the diet. We did some targeted supplementation. And within a few weeks, it went from daily diarrhea to, um, you know, like once in a week. And then it ended up being like once in two months. And he was just like, you know, men are a bit more serious when they're, they're praising. But the emotion on this guy um, you know, I'm on the verge of tears a lot of times when my clients get really emotional because they've had such a ha- happy outcome with their dog. So yeah, that was really lovely. But yeah, I think, you know, my French bulldog with the spinal injury, we were told like, you know, she'll never wee herself again. She'll always have fecal incontinence. She'll never walk again. She'll never feel again in her back legs. Um, and just the diet and the nutrition and the supplementation, I 100% believe is what turned her around and she runs around like a lunatic now yeah well we've got to stop her from trying to like from breaking her body again because she's so (laughs) just driven and so active and she's just you know her zest for life is so phenomenal and i yeah i have to bring that back to diet and um supplements all right now in in closing i want um your top three tips for a new dog owner it can be anything don't be afraid to feed raw there's so yep. many voices out there online and sorry to say, but, you know, a lot of vets will say, particularly for puppies, yeah. you know, don't feed raw, it's dangerous. It can be dangerous if not done well and if not done sensibly. But if, so I always encourage new pet owners and I've got a lot of new pet owners that I can, you know, consult with, um, go commercial. And this is not a, a set up big dog plug. Like I always say, go for a commercial raw food option because it's all done for you. Like literally you don't have to think about it other than, um, you know, getting it out of the freezer and opening the packet and putting yeah. it in the bowl. Like that's as complicated as it gets. And I just love that for getting people into 
raw food feeding without having to stress about, you know, am I doing it right? Um, sure. So that would be my first tip. Adequate training and socialization. Yep. Absolutely uh, fundamental for quality of life and for health as well, because, you know, anxious, stressed dog, that will have a negative impact on health. And if I can just sort of stretch this out a little bit, because this is sure. really important to me, you know, when we're in a state of stress or if our dogs are in a state of stress, that fight or flight response compromises digestion because, you know, the whole, again, cliche, when you're running from the lion, digestion isn't going to save you. So digestion shuts down or the blood flows away from the um, the internal organs to the extremities. So, you know, we can run and we can fight. We produce less gastric acid, less enzymes. So automatically, if your dog's an anxious or stressed on a regular basis, their digestion is compromised, which means the nutrients that they're going to be getting out of their food is compromised. And it's this, and then it goes full, full circle. So if they're not getting the nutrition they need, that's going to compromise hormone production is going to com compromise neurotransmitter production is going to compromise mm -hmm. immune health. Um, and it's just, it's so connected. So we need our dogs to be uh, well socialized. So to minimize, you know, the stress and anxiety stress. Yep. of daily, daily living, you know, I want to say supplements because that's what I do, but just playing with your dogs, you know, I think a yeah. lot of people forget to play with their dogs. And I think that's huge for quality of life. For us and our and dogs. It's like stimulating them, right? That 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 co-stimulation. So when we're with our dogs, often, you know, we might just be walking them or we might be training them or we might just be feeding them or toileting them. But just to sort of, you know, take all of that away sometimes and just enjoy your dog and play with your dog. And I've probably got that from my husband, you know, hearing what he does with 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 dog I, training and behavior. I've got to a point where um I now take a really dedicated moment to smell my dog, to, to, you know, just to, when I give him a cuddle or a kiss, I'll just try and, okay, I'm really going to remember how he smells right now and how he feels right now, just to be present in that moment. That's taken me a long time to do, but I think I started doing it a long time ago and then my Mastiff passed away in March, but I can still remember how he feels and he smelled because I was doing that. And to me, I think that's, that's helped me a great deal. That's really interesting, but there's a lot to be said for, um, yeah, the effects of scent on emotions. No, I just want to thank you so much for coming by to pause and listen. Now, obviously, you've got your range of supplements. Where can we find those? So uh, my website, caninesuticals.com.au. So C-A-N-I-N-E-C-E-U-T-I-C-A-L-S.com.au. Um, and if you've got any questions, like I am so here to help people. If you don't know, you know, what the best supplement is for your dog, um, please email me info at caninesuticals.com.au and I can help guide you, you know, get a bit of background information and help guide you in making the best decision for your dog in that regard. It's amazing. You're so accessible. Are you on the socials as well? Yes. Oh, I always forget my husband, like social media. Prod the socials, plug the socials. Uh, Facebook, Instagram. So canine.suticals yeah, yeah. for both of those. Um, but yep. All right, Narelle, it's been amazing talking to you. It's been so um, informative and educational. I really appreciate it. And look, if you're listening and you want any more information, obviously you've got Narelle's email, but you can also email customer care at big.petfoods.com. We'll point you in the right direction. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on, just to, you know, let me and Narelle know that it was a fun 
conversation because I know I had fun. You look like you had fun, Narelle. So tell us that you had fun and give us a nice high rating. Narelle, amazing chat. Thanks so much. I think we can uh, definitely do it another time and go down another rabbit hole. Yep, there's lots of those. So I'm happy to come back and do it again. Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information and content, visit the Big Dog Pet Foods website. Please note that the information discussed in these podcasts is general in nature and has been provided in good faith for educational and informational purposes only. The information provided is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional advice or care. If any of the topics discussed raise questions or concerns for you regarding the health of your pet, we recommend that you consult your veterinarian or trusted pet health provider for an individual assessment and advice. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.